1: Okay, how's it going everybody? Brad Phillips here with Haggerty. Welcome to our Haggerty Live session on the digitization of motorsports. That was a mouthful. It is absolutely bonkers that I get to sit here with three motorsports luminaries to discuss this. It's absolutely phenomenal. We've got two professional race car drivers, Jack Roush Jr., Patrick Long, and one of the most recognizable voices in motorsports here with John Hindaw from Radio Le Mans. How's it going, everybody? Doing well. How's it going? We're so thankful to have you here. And it blows my mind that traditional motorsports has moved so far forward, not just because of this COVID crisis that we're in, but just the technology available to people and to really promote this togetherness in motorsports to kind of get us through this. So, John, your voice is still the voice of iRacing this transition, has it been uh, real easy for you to, to do this?
0: Well, what a lot of pe- First of all, thank you very much to Haggerty for putting this together. I think it's a great idea. The The big sim race, uh, races today at the Nürburgring and at Indianapolis have, have just finished. So I'm sure we've got a huge audience. And hello to everybody who's tuning in. Um, Welcome to Hind Off Towers, by the way. What a lot of people don't realise is that here at Radio Show Limited, we've been involved in sim racing uh, since before it was called eSports. I remember the game Sports Car GT. Uh, Pat probably remembers that as well from his his youth. Um, He would have been very young in those days. It was loosely based on the then American Le Mans series with the same sort of cars around there. And you could do online races, but not all at the same time. You had to submit your game file, and about a week after you'd done it, you'd found out how well you'd done. Well, we've come on massively since then, haven't we? To the point where last weekend I was commentating on the 24 hours at the Nürburgring, 1265 team entries in 23 splits or separate races, and we're getting 50 real-world IMSA drivers for every round of the IMSA Championship, the most recent which was at Mid Ohio on Thursday, presented by Haggerty. And if you haven't seen that, go to radiolamond.com. The sound, vision, and timing archive is there. No spoilers. I won't I, I won't ruin it for you. But it was a cracking, cracking race. And the technology means basically that I can sit here at Radio Show Limited and commentate on races that appear to be on the other side of the world. But of course, we do that in real life as well because we're not always traveling. So that gives us the opportunity to use some of our infrastructure, use some of our real world inventory, including our strategy software, which we're making available to the viewers. So the technology is perfectly suited at this time to bring this sim racing community into the spotlight whilst we haven't got any real world racing.
1: Well, John, so you're sort of used to doing it this way. Um, Patrick and Jack, this is a little bit different for you to not be actually sitting in a race car for these things. How does that transition work for
2: you guys? Well, mentally, emotionally, uh, very similar. Um, Physically, still having to hit the gym and, uh, you know, go out and and get that exercise in. But um, it's, we're all racers we all want to prepare we want to build up to a, an event we want to have an event and then afterwards we want to drown our sorrows or celebrate so um, <laughs> we're we're keeping busy i think racing drivers across the board are a certain type of mentality and so we need a lot of outlet we're a, we're an active animal so you have to keep our minds challenged and so it's been a it's been a great couple of weeks
3: yeah believe it or not this is my uh last night was my third race in i racing i've used the sim for Uh, almost 15 years now but uh, I'm really impressed with how much it feels like actually being at a racetrack you know the the adrenaline uh, the focus you know the ups and downs and how you have to go through hardship on the track it's very similar
1: so you said you've been using simulators for a while but mostly just for training to learn new tracks that kind of thing before you get there
3: yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I started with sim racing uh, at the same time I got into sports cars to try to learn all these new tracks. And it's been an invaluable tool for sure. But I've kind of shied away from getting too much time on it because I didn't want it to distort my the way that I drive as much as learning new tracks.
1: <laughs> One thing I was amazed by, for instance, the mid-Ohio race... I watched the entirety of it last night um, as a replay, and you watch it for five minutes and you forget you're watching a simulation. The graphics are so incredible, and everything just seems to cut in and out of in-car stuff and around different turns and the announcing's happening. It's It blows your mind.
0: And, Brad, the thing is that for those people who are moving around and haven't got the bandwidth or the ability, maybe if they're sitting in a car and they've got their cell phone linked via Bluetooth and they're listening on RS2 IMSA radio, the sound quality from iRacing, they model the exact sounds of all the cars. So you can tell the, dis- the difference between a BMW or a Porsche. And the Porsche flat six noise is absolutely quality on on the sim. And everybody knows what's going by when they're going past the cameras. So if you take the visuals out, it even suspends disbelief easier in some respects. And, and frankly, I'm the same as you. By the time I've watched practice and qualifying, it's just another race. And if I look up and look out of my window, we've got just behind me there, a meadow looking out onto a boating, a big boating leg, a sailing leg. And if I look up and don't see the start-finish line at whatever track we're meant to be, it kind of throws me out a little bit because (laughs) I'm so immersed in it.
3: Yeah, I was watching uh, one of the NASCAR races over the past couple of weeks, and uh, my daughter came in the room, and she thought it was a real race.
1: Well, so what's it like when you're actually in the car? So you're in your simulator, you're in your home, and you're doing this, you're used to a, there's this pace, there's this energy, you're feeding off other cars around you and this momentum feeling. How does all that translate to what you're actually doing with a, with a steering wheel setup like you're in front of right there?
2: I'll, I'll tell you that, that once you're immersed in the race and you're fully focused and your lower back is sweating and, and you have somebody in your ear talking to you about strategy, you, you really are, you're, you're fully engaged in a race um your equipment your pedals your steering your screens all of that of course has to sync up and give you that real experience but um in the middle of it i'll tell you after the frustrations of some of the adjustments you have to make to driving style or eating a little bit of humble pie as somebody you know in real life you might be a couple seconds quicker from is is going circles around you um yeah it's intense and there's a couple of elements that are even more engaging as john said the, the the acoustics are amazing the coverage, the viewpoints. I mean, he talked about uh, the Nürburgring and the Nordschleife, how many different viewpoints you can have on this online live racing that you might not have in real life. For me, the two things that have been very unique to utilize and experience is, one, I can dive into somebody else's car live during practice or qualifying and watch what they're doing in their car while I'm sitting in my car in pit lane. And the other part of it, which I don't really like, but it makes for great entertainment, is there is an open radio communication channel during the race so you're out looking for hundreds of a second and you're listening to two of your rivals bicker and argue about a move that one of them just made and it makes for very good entertainment so certainly keeping people engaged in this unfortunate time that we're all in is all about what we're doing
0: we need that for real racing Pat, but would have to probably make that a subscription channel and over 18s only wouldn't we
2: Yes, I, uh, I definitely would have that muted in, in my racing car, but I would certainly tune in and pay for the, uh, the experience afterwards. (laughs) So you're driving along. How do you, how do you feel
1: in this? You said you're sweating, the energy's there, but did it happen that way from the very beginning or what was it like the first time you got behind one of these in, in a real competition setting?
3: For me, like it was instant, uh, you know, racing, hopping in a race car, uh, you have to be so focused at every single instant. Um, I find that even my, uh, perception of memory and time can be very different than when I'm not in a race car because you're just so entirely focused on that instant. It's no different in the sim. It's absolutely the same. Um, as soon as you start going, you're so focused on what your car is doing that you're not thinking about the seat. You're not thinking about things going on in the room. Or if you are distracted, you know, you you just went off track, you know, that I had to make sure my kids stayed out of the room uh, last night during my race. But yeah, if they, if they, uh, when they come in, it's usually not
0: too good. Well, we saw what happened with Denny Hamlin, didn't we, in the the NASCAR race when his daughter came in and switched off the big screen. That's the best news I've ever heard, that the screen went blank and his daughter had turned it off while she was asking daddy if she could go and play on the go-karts outside. Uh-oh, she says and she walked out, and they had video of it as well. Guys, do you wear your gloves when you're driving? Because I've seen some of the guys actually wear their racing gloves when they're driving to give them feel and maybe to, to stop the sweat on the steering wheel. Jack, do you wear your gloves?
3: Uh, the full fire suit and helmet. I'm just kidding. No, I, I don't. Uh, I, I actually don't wear shoes either, just so I can you know, get a little bit more tactile sense of what's going on.
1: It was interesting at the end of the race yesterday, well, in all of them, the post-race interviews with the drivers, they look as exhausted as anything, and they're pulling off a sweaty ball cap, and they have that look like they've just really been through the war. I mean, it's it's really unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I'll tell you, the- that part of the mental stress and demand of something new like this, we're not as familiar with these cars or this scenario as we might be in our in our home race car, and that's when things are the most demanding physically, mentally, uh, if you go in, in our race car, if you go to a new track or you have new surroundings around you, those are often the times where you utilize the most amount of energy uh, possible. And, and that parallel for me is certainly uh, one for one in this situation. I mean, I'm using every single cell in my body of concentration. Um, I'm physically tense and, um, that's just a, a newer surrounding, less experience than some of the other drivers out there. And so you have to pull from every, every single angle that you
0: can. Pat, you use the CXC simulators, Chris Considine's uh, company, and it's got a bit of motion in it as well. They're very good. I've used them. Um, uh, Chris gave me a run around uh, Bathurst, Mount Panorama, when we were down there a couple of, of years ago. And he gave me a VR headset. Now, you don't use a VR headset, do you? You use three screens. I have tried the VR headset. Um, I'm still
2: adjusting to it. I don't find the resolution to be as crystal clear as a, a big high definition screen. So you start you, your eyes get spoiled, just like we get used to watching HD TV, and you go back to something non HD, and you're like, man, I can't even see the the players on the field. Um, but it's certainly the future. I believe that the companies that are developing uh, VR are accelerating faster than we know and probably in these times even more so but yeah cxc is a southern california based company and one of the things that chris constantine and his team do is they utilize real life drivers to critique their movement with their actuators you're sitting in a racing seat with actuators on an axis a center axis underneath you and so those actuators are sending feedback into your body when you run over a curb, when you hit another driver, when you run into the wall to give you more inputs. We've been pretty candid and and maybe critical in the media um, about the differences between simulator driving, online racing versus the real life. And to really get to brass tacks, it's just a different sensory mode that you're utilizing. You're, you're more relying on your visual than you are on your you know, acoustics, or you might not have as much G-force feedback, but the CXC guys have been working to give real inputs where we've all said less is more. Give us high frequency shaking, not tons of exaggerated motion.
1: So that's a big difference in you've got people that are way in the camp of VR headsets, like the Oculus Rift that you guys have talked about in the past. And then others like these big three panel Um, you know, flat screen setups. What's the big difference between the two at there. Is it easier to be disoriented if you've got the headset on? Like, what do you, what are you finding? You've got a brand new setup, I think, right, Jack.
3: Uh, Yeah. I have a curved monitor. uh, That's really good. Uh, I did also get a a VR headset at the same time. Um, I'm with Patrick. Uh, I haven't gotten used to the VR stuff yet. Uh, It's pretty amazing though, the sense of depth that you get with them. And uh, I think I'll be toying with it. I'm actually quicker with the monitor, Uh, but I agree. You know, I think it's definitely the future. You know, it gives you, especially the sense of depth, really adds a whole new dimension, literally, uh, to driving.
0: And presumably, guys, being able to turn your head and get that sense of somebody racing alongside you. I, I know certainly, you know, driving on your own in a sim, even a good sim like, racing if you're just putting a time in, having a single screen in front of you is, is kind of okay. But once you go to racing, you have to have that peripheral to see where the guys are. So being able to turn your head one way or the other and not have to do something on a joystick, which I've done on console games before. And the moment I do that, you're completely disorientated. So that must be, Jack, a massive advantage.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that.
1: Well, you've also got a lot of safety equipment when you're in the actual race car. So that can be limiting in some way about what you can turn your head and do. How does that translate to the sim world? Is it, is it maybe even easier um, to, to actually look around if you had the chance to do it?
3: Um, I'd say it's actually easier in a race car because you're picking up the vision uh, peripherally. And you also can turn your head and check stuff out, but still get that sense of momentum, you know, in your body. So you know what the car is doing, where I find uh, in the sim, I'm training myself to be really conscientious about where my eyes are and really look at those apexes. And I have to, you know, look more than in a race car.
1: So if someone's starting off in sim racing, they're getting very interested in this are there levels to work up through to get clearly you're not going to jump in and get into a pro race. Where where do you start if you want to get into sim racing?
3: Uh, I'm probably not the person to answer that. You know, I think there's a lot of different paths, you know, for a lot of people coming in, um, who haven't raced either. Obviously there's a whole lot to learn about lines and about the momentum learning tracks, all of that, you know, all those things are really separate things to learn. Um, but, uh, as I understand it, iRacing has a really
0: great league structure that you can build up your credibility and skills. Right. And and certainly in terms of getting a license, um, here in the UK, you've got to do so many races before you're allowed to move on to the next level and to get up to FIA international standard, which scarily is where my racing license is, despite the fact I don't race very often, but it took me a long time and a lot of races at different levels to get to that. And you've got to... uh, get the clerk of the course the race director's signatures to let you progress and part iRacing's rather like that is that you can start off in something relatively manageable like a mx5 global cup car or a skip barber racing car and move your way through and advance your license so that you can get into to better events in the in the virtual world just as we would do here in the uk in the real world well, yeah, the
1: Porsche, Porsche Club of America has got a club yeah, racing a club setup racing. that they're doing with iRacing also, right?
2: Yeah, there's different clubs um, that have uh, one-to-one racing that um, have also done partnerships with iRacing and some of the other software providers. But as John referenced, the great thing about iRacing is, is that you need to qualify and you need to advance to get into some of the league racing, even some of the open races. But to back up... I mean, this is actual live organized races that are happening. Yes, you can go out and do a time trial or you can do free testing in your own time. Pick your track. Um, There's all different disciplines of racing from dirt oval all the way up to Formula One type uh, single seater racing. Um, But really, you have to log the laps. Um, You need to get into the lower league races and it's not so much about the power to weight ratio of the cars but it's the level of the drivers and it really is a difficult discipline you have to have your equipment up to speed so that you exist in the race at the end and then you have a rating and there are points negative points for contact um they want these races to go uh like a real race this is not a video game where you push a reset button after you blast half of the ai competition out in the first corner um everybody is connected via radio there's Subscribers from all around the world, so there's races going on 24 seven. And if you clear a guy out into turn one, not only does your right license take an automatic ding by the time that race finishes up, but you're going to hear it from the guy on the audio
0: as well. Uh, this, <laughs> the race that we did today in the digital Nurburgring series, the uh, the Nurburgring Langstrack and the Nurburgring uh, endurance series, the driver briefing notes were ten pages long. I've seen briefing notes for real life races that haven't been that long and you have to be there and tick to say that you've received those and be in the chat area so that they can tick you off before you can go racing. So again, just like the real world. Now this is at a very high level. And when you get to some of these blue riband iRacing events that anybody can enter, that's not just open to real world drivers. This is open to anybody. Now, when you get into some of the series, the real world series, like IMSA, of course, they're bringing people in. This is what they call a pro invitational and they're bringing in IMSA real world drivers. And as Pat will tell you, it's not as easy as it looks when you get out there and there's 50 cars out there, if you can get in the top 30, you're doing pretty well, aren't you, Pat?
2: You are. Um, it's uh, intense at the top, just like anything that you might experience. It's it's all good playing billiards with your friends at the pub, but once you go to a world championship level, uh, you wouldn't stand one second uh, on the floor with those guys. So um, there are some top-level, professional, factory-level drivers um, who are also – holding their own with the top esports and gaming drivers around the world. But I see it as as three groups. You have a professional gamer, a professional racing driver, and then you have a few who can actually do it at a professional level on both sides. I am not one of those, but somebody like Shane Van and that guy holds his own. Um, Philip Eng, these are guys that I share the racetrack with at Daytona or Le Mans who are also – um, holding their own at the front on some of these esports, and I think they'll be the first ones to tell you that that's a serious, serious level. But I don't want to intimidate the people that are, people that are uh, you know, on the on the fence on whether or not they want to take a little dive into this. You can enter into uh, organized races as soon as you are subscribed and online. And there are beginners and pros out there in some of these open races, like the Carburetor Cup, where you're restrictor plate drafting at Daytona. Those races are going off every fifteen to thirty minutes. Uh, right now, as we speak, and so uh, talk about uh, a racing junkie that has endless amounts of racing in front of them. If they want it, it's it's definitely there online. And think also
1: all the giant expenditures of learning racing and moving up through the ranks: the tires, the fuel, the travel. Some in those cases, they're all minimized in a really big way. In this, right? I mean, you're just run, 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 and yeah, the price damage.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Crash damage. That's what I wanted to kind of reference. I mean, we know in the aviation industry that simulation has been used for training pilots for for years. And although somebody who is an A plus simulator um, pilot might not be somebody that you want to jump onto a seven forty seven at the helm, but a lot of the low hanging fruit, a lot of the mental exercises a lot of the systems checks and fundamentals that can be done in a safe environment that can be done over and over and over with as jack said without the expenditure of crash damage or consumable so there are tons of things that we can point to that are very very valid and and useful um but other things that are not one-to-one if if you break at the 300 marker at a scanned racetrack online I don't recommend your first session in the race car when you head to Sebring that you do the same. You still have to separate these two as different sports, but they can definitely be utilized one one versus the other. I think well, that's as- oh, oh, just, go uh, ahead.
3: I think that's a really good point. You know, uh, one of the things that made, has made me a little hesitant uh, to do more previously in terms of the racing and uh, in the simulator in general is that. Uh, to train yourself without consequences of think, you know, when you push the car too far is, you know, that's, as a professional race car driver, that's something you don't want to have be a habit. And right now it's, uh, we're running a little series where we have a lineup of professional real race car drivers up against people from the public. Some of these guys that we've brought in are really quick uh, in the sim. And, uh, something I've been trying to reel them back and is driving, you know, a little with a little bit more respect for the other drivers. You know, the guys that I've brought in, they are guys that, you know, they'll give you space. Everyone drives with respect. You know, you don't want to have contact and for sure, you know, just like in the real world, you don't want to take people out, you know, for your own safety and for the safety of other people. But in the sim, you know, that's not really the case. You know, you can get away with a lot and there's no
0: cause to it. But don't you think you've got to, it's a, it's a state of mind about the respect for your competitors, respect for the track and respect for the sport. You guys are pro drivers. I'm very much not a pro driver. I get to drive because of what I do in my day job and sometimes people say, off, hey, do you want to go and drive? And before they even told me what it is, my answer is always yes. And, It helps me using simulators to shortcut because you could never get enough time on the track. So it builds up my confidence and my knowledge of particularly a new racetrack. For example, Cota, when I raced there in the 24 hours with Aston Martin, it wasn't like I could pop over there the, the day before or the week before and do a test day, which I can't in most of the tracks in the UK. So when I went and drove the Radical and raced the Radical at Donington, I did go up and do a test day up there. But I couldn't do that for Cota. So Darren Turner's base performance, guys, gave me a couple of hours on the sim. But you have to take that seriously as if you were at the track doing a test day. Otherwise, you learn nothing. But what it did mean, even though it wasn't identical in terms of how the car was geared and such like, it gave me the idea of where I could and couldn't go. I still walked the track when I got there. And it gave me an idea of the first time that I got into that car on a practice session to say, right, at least I'm not going to waste this first session just finding out where the track goes and where the cambers are different. And which, what you do want to do is learn which curb you can't hit by hitting it and doing some damage to the car, which you can already have done if you've done a bit of sim work. But it's got to be, I think, a state of mind and working with a good sim engineer to help you through it.
3: I couldn't agree more. I've I've used uh, iRacing for the, that exact thing, and it's been absolutely critical for my career.
1: So yeah, how, how much can the driver actually adjust these parameters that you're talking about gearing and crash damage and things like that? That's all hard locked before these events start, right? Or can you make these modifications like uh,
2: you're going in the pit and you can make a change? There is a um, abundance of opportunity to change while you're driving, uh, when you do a pit stop. um, And of course, beforehand, Um, one of the things that I referenced in a story that's on Haggerty's website is about having some of the best mechanics and software engineers around me um, in motorsport bar none, uh, being a Porsche factory driver. And now I'm locked at home. Nobody can make a house call and tune up my SIM. And so um, one of the secrets is that's why I'm down at CXC and sort of, using their simulator room, which is private, and I can access it through the back door. But um, in reality, you have to have your software and your hardware all tuned up. And then you go into iRacing and you have to have everything tuned up on the, on the side of whether it's your controls or whether it's your screen or your audio. I mean, it's, it's a lot of different stuff that has to be in sync. But as a but base as a to base start, to they start, do a very good, do good job very good of
0: giving job. you the, the baseline um, to get going. And, and and Pat, can you cha- can you transfer some of the settings from w- real world driving uh, a GT Le Mans Porsche nine eleven RSR? Does that give you an idea? It must give you an idea, at least of what to change. But can you actually directly? like tra- right, I need a sh- hello hello Vysak. I need a setup sheet for WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca.
2: Um, yes, it, it, it's definitely in the similar direction. And I give a ton of credit to the team um, in some of these software providers. iRacing is who I use. Um, they have guys working, uh, guys and girls working on this 24-7. There's teams that are developing different tire models. They're making updates to these cars and the reality of what uh, a front roll bar change will make or a rear spring. Um, when you take weight out of if you take fuel out of the car, you might not pass virtual tech, which means that your ride height you know may not be in the parameters of minimum maximum so uh, things do really relate it gives people the idea of what direction things may react one way or another with an aero change or a ride height change. but certainly um, this is about simulation this is about giving you an insight into the world that other people get to live in, and it 's all about teleporting you into giving you new experiences and one thing I wanted to back up and say is, is that you know, we talk about extracting speed. Oh, this racing driver's quick. That racing driver's quick. They've done this lap time. They put this much brake pressure into the corner. The reality of it is, is that there are so many fast racing drivers in the world. There are so many people mentally and physically, fewer probably physically, who are able to take a Formula One car or a Le Mans prototype to the very edge and do the time around the racetrack. But that doesn't mean they can retain a job as a factory racing driver, because as you said, Jack, you still have to coexist with all the other drivers out there. You still have to do a strategy with your team. You have to measure risk versus reward, when to push, when being a hero might end up with you in the fence, whether that's virtually or online in real life. And so there is so much more than just debating whether or not you can go and apply simulation driving technique to the real world. There are so many other aspects to this sport that you can learn in simulation and you can try and refine. And when it comes down to it in any sport, my opinion, the difference between the also ran and the elite best in the world is you against yourself mentally. The Tiger Woods, the Michael Jordans, those players, they could deliver when it came down to it. And they could also pull themselves out of the you know what when it wasn't going well. And those things apply. And that's the stuff where I become a proponent of this. I'm not learning how to go faster in my Porsche GT3R on simulation, but I am in this downtime testing my mental stability and ability to extract speed with the tools that you're given.
3: Very well said. Go ahead, Jack. No, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, transferring uh what you're doing uh in real life to the simulation um as you guys know for nascar the simulator is has been critical for shaping that sport uh running simulations coming up with um setups that you show up at the track with uh i don't know if they're actually doing that with iRacing but it wouldn't surprise me uh uh just like uh what's been said before here um you know, learning little spots on the track where you can drive or can't drive, uh, you know, is is so it's so accurate. Uh, I racing the team will go out and they laser scan the tracks. It's I don't know the exact measurement uh, how accurate it is. So minus
0: a millimeter, plus or yeah. minus a yeah. millimeter is what uh, is what they've told me, and I have no reason to doubt that that is the case.
3: Right, and I've got I've studied new tracks. Uh, Long Beach is an example and driven on it. And all of a sudden the car would kick sideways out of nowhere. I can't remember what turn it was, but I showed up at the real track and uh, I thought, you know, the simulator must just be inaccurate. It must be some glitch. Well, the car, the real car does that in that corner. And uh, yeah, it's very impressive.
1: Have, have you guys been able bit to bit drive the on plug. tracks that, that, or in different places that you may not have as much experience on, like learn every corner of the ring, that kind of thing? I mean, have you had a chance to really dive in there?
2: Yeah, I, I've um, trained for the Nürburgring, Nordschleife, um, and, and Le Mans um, online, and I have to say that it was pre-iRacing, and I'm very envious of some of the different softwares that are available to drivers these days. Um, back in my day, it was a, a, a photocopied fax. I'm old enough to say that I got handwritten notes from my Skip Barber instructor, telling me where to break and what to look for before I went to Sebring. And then you might get to walk around the racetrack and have a look at it. No YouTube, um, you know, no, no internet to access all of this data. And it's no excuse. They are progressing. The, the drivers who are coming up now have a, a, a shorter learning curve. I saw Michael Christensen go around Long Beach for his first time. And by his third lap, he, he was on pace. And I thought to myself, kids these days, where is this evolution coming from? And that was back in 2014. And of course, I had already started simulation racing and I should have known. But when I asked him afterwards, he looked at me and he said, you know, I've got 300 laps at this place before I ever landed in California. And uh, again, knowing which way the track goes, I remember going out in sessions in different countries, racing in the UK or racing in France and literally going out for your first laps on a racetrack and not knowing which direction the next corner was that you were coming up on.
3: Yeah, they can be a very sketchy experience.
2: Yeah, and those days are gone. I mean, the, the Nürburgring-Nordschleife, I remember spending eight hours in the car one day um, trying to really learn the timing in every single corner, of course, being one of the longest tracks in the world. Um, in this day and age, not only are you required to train in a simulator for Le Mans or Nürburgring, but you have to know that everybody who shows up there has done some amount of laps online beforehand. So this is a great
1: kind of point to to pivot to the future of motorsports, right? So this is the world we're living in right now. How is all this um, electronic learning and simulation going to change the face of how events are are run in the future? We can actually get back out there on a real track together.
0: I think everybody can. I think everybody can learn from each other. And I uh, first of all, I think the guys will hopefully the guys will agree with this but the competition online in virtual racing is as real as it is in the real world. And, and I say that because there are people out there who, who don't want to watch it, aren't interested in it, well, and that's fine, absolutely fine. But the competitive element, the skill level, the amount of dedication that goes into it, that is real. And if people can't acknowledge that, they are doing disrespect to these talented people who have been doing it for a long time and will continue to do it. And the reason I think that this is a two-way street is you look at what's happened in the last six to eight weeks and how Real World Series have managed to use the online world to keep the momentum going. And in the case – and Haggart is a perfect example – coming on board with us this season at Radio Show Limited and IMSA Radio, and then we don't have any races. So thanks to Eve and to the guys at Haggerty, thanks to Justin Moreno, bringing them into the iRacing world and the sim world as one of our partners for what we're doing for the, the IMSA iRacing series. So that keeps that momentum going. But also, it's bringing a new audience to series around the world. Yes, it's shining a light on some names that we haven't seen and heard of before, but in the, even in the Pro Series, look what's happened to NASCAR. And Jack knows exactly about this. NASCAR, over the last 10 years or so, has been looking at their demographic, the age of their audience, getting older and trying very hard with various initiatives to engage a younger audience, the 16 to 34 age group. That's the key demographic, particularly for fast-moving consumer goods. And that's been a struggle. On the E-Series for NASCAR, that that demographic is rising and is actually a better number than the real races on TV. So on FS1 and on uh, NBC Sports, those shows on network television in the States have really pulled in new people. The opportunity is to keep those new people watching when the green flag flies again. And I think that's happening with IMSA. I know it's happening in the Nürburgring because we've had a lot of people say, I'm an iRacer and now I'll go back and and watch the real races." What? There's 170 cars. We only race 55 in the virtual world. And, And there's that back and forth both ways. And I really think that what we've seen is a change and from the broadcast world as well it might mean that we d- that we can do some motor racing behind closed doors without having to take a full crew of people there remote cameras people commentating from different parts of the world on motor racing and doing the play by play from different places if we can't get on a plane to go and do the races that we would normally do trackside is it a perfect world no but it's a solution and we are developing and refining the infrastructure and the skills to do that right here, right now.
1: I think it's fascinating when you talk about changing demographics and people that are interested. Does that also, on the business side of things, how does that change sponsor acquisition and relationships? Have you guys seen a difference in any of of that throughout all this?
3: Um, I think it's a little too early uh, to really get a grasp on it, but I think I think uh, it's all really good stuff. Um, you know, like you said, it's uh, we're bringing in a much younger audience. I, I think it's a really exciting time. I don't think that we're going to come out of this and see sim racing just go away or even go back to what it was. Um, what you're, what we're seeing is, you know, there is the younger demographic side of it, but also what is really exciting is that the audience can now go to any track that can drive all these cars and be much more engaged in motorsports. You know, it's so expensive to even just do a track day. How many people can do that? You know, take a truck out to California and drive Laguna Seca. Well, now you can, after you buy your stuff, you can go there anytime you want and learn the track very, very well. You know, it's really neat stuff. I'm
1: uh, pretty excited about it. It's probably the only way I'm going to get any good at a Porsche 917. I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah and that- man if you want to drive a 917 in, in virtual reality, to be honest. Right.
2: <laughs> and, and there are those experiences. I mean, talking about uh, going back to regular racing, um, corporate hospitality and being at a racetrack with a group of people and feeling the energy of pre-race and um, smelling the burning tires and, and fuel that that's still part of our culture that's going to come back and we're going to go racing again but giving you the chance brad to jump into a 917 and run the old norse life or the old Hockenheim ring those are experiences that are a whole different bag and and i think we should have both and i think that there is time to have both we might not have the availability to have a wednesday night race where we're all in one place experiencing it but we could go virtual racing on wednesday and we could go to the track on friday and don't you
0: think as well that that you know, as we live in a society now where some of the younger generation don't need cars, they're travelling in other ways, they're using public transport, they're using cycles, they're walking, and we're living closer to where we work, then in terms of building the next generation of petrol heads, as we all are, uh, then it gives them something to say: okay, I might not be buying a Porsche to drive around the streets, but I can appreciate what these guys are doing. And again, that is likely at some stage to bring them into the sport and to give them an appreciation of engineering, of skill, of competition uh, and of talent. And the other thing is entertainment. Because in all of this, if the virtual world or the real world, if it's not entertaining, we're not going to cut it. And it has been entertaining, and it continues to be entertaining. And it is live sport, which is the great unknown. If you haven't seen the Indy race tonight, watch it. And you have to watch it all the way at the end. If you didn't watch the Nürburgring today, watch it all the way to the end. And that is live sport. It's entertainment, it's emotional, and it's passionate. And if that's what we do for people who possibly aren't driving their own cars, surely... This virtual side of things has got to be taken seriously.
1: Thank yeah, you very I much. agree. I wanted to let you guys know we've got questions that are coming in. So as promised, we're going to be getting to some of those. Uh, I there's a lot of questions along the lines of I want to set up a sim rig. How much does this really cost to do? What's the what's the the beginner to the medium range way to do it? Do you guys have any tips? I mean, Jack, I know you were just going through this about you were telling us that you were getting a box from here and a piece from here. Right. There are different approaches to this, it seems.
3: Right. Yeah, my uh, going back a month ago, my gaming computer was from 2013 and I had uh, a steering wheel that was probably even older than that, which was fine, you know, for learning tracks. Uh, I think, you know, you can probably get away with, uh, two to $3,000 for a pretty decent system, maybe even a little bit less, uh, 1500, probably. Um, if you want to be competitive and really race, you know, professionally, and this is where I was, um, you know, you need to probably spend a bit more, uh, you know, a uh, good gaming computer, you know, you don't, it's kind of like exercising with driving, in my opinion, I don't know if you feel this way, Patrick, but uh, you're not going to go faster by being able to lift more weights or run, you know, faster. What we have to do is make it so that those uh, aspects physically don't get in your way. And uh, I kind of look at it this way with uh, the computer stuff. Um, you know, uh, you can spend a lot of money, and it will make sure that – the mechanical side of it doesn't slow you down, but you also still need to work on yourself as the driver. Um, I guess that's kind of a tangent, but uh, to, you know, to compete, I think you're probably looking at uh, probably about 7,000 for a really nice setup and you can spend a lot more too for a
0: moving chassis. Yeah. You you don't have to stop there. That's the plan. Right. But you don't have to start there, guys. That's the key. Uh, It's the same as if you were going real-world racing. You're not going to buy a Toyota LMP1 hybrid to go and do your first race and spend €250,000 on it and then another €250,000 for somebody to run it for you. You're going to start off at a level that you feel comfortable with. And that's the beauty. As Pat said earlier on, there are levels that you're going to go through and it's still going to be a heck of a lot less than going and trying to do real world racing where, frankly, by the time you've bought a good race suit, a good helmet, and you always buy a good helmet, by the way, whether you're a motorcyclist or a racing driver, because do you really want to put your head in an $80 helmet? You only have one head. So you're going to spend more on that uh, just to go and do your first test or your first couple of track days to try and get your license than you will do buying a decent gaming computer, a monitor, I mean, you can start off plugging it in um, with an HDMI into, into a decent 44-inch television. It won't be as good as the guys at the very top end, but you're not going to be racing those guys to start with, Pat. Everybody's going to find their level.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's like Jack said, um, you need a baseline of the tools to do the job, and then it becomes what, what you can do um, between, as we say, the spacer, the, the, the person between the wheel and the seat. Um, Yeah, but uh, you read, go online, um, go onto YouTube and search, um, you know, uh, online simulator, online driving simulator on a budget. Or if you want to spend, you know, a a good amount of money, uh, look up somebody like CXC who's building a full motion sim. So um, I think that you can draw off of somebody like Timothy Peters, who's racing in NASCAR and he's sitting at a desk with a $300 $300 set of wheels and and pedals that he bought at the local superstore and he's using his home desktop. Now, he might not have the clearest resolution, and he might not have the most feel from his pedals, but he's getting the job done. So in the end, it's some of its creature comforts. I mean, we're all going to get there. Whether you ride up front in the airplane or you ride in the back, we're all going to get there. It's just how much luxury do you want to put into it? How flash do you want your setup to be? But yeah, don't get me started about PCs and how finicky they are and um, graphics cards and memory and refresh rates and yeah, I'm not a computer person, as you can tell, but make sure you have a good friend uh, that knows computers because you're going to be calling them a lot.
1: I, I thought it was awesome to learn through this process. Jack, when we were talking yesterday in kind of our warm-up, you have three loves. It's racing, playing the piano, and actually technology is a really big interest of yours with coding and programming, right?
3: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, uh, when I was... Uh, The summer when I turned seven years old, I started a program. I started a go-kart race, and I started to play piano. And uh, it's really defined uh, a lot of what I've been passionate about my whole life. And, uh, yeah, I I guess interpret that as you will. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of a funny
1: coincidence. I still think there's some way that you're going to figure out to backdoor into the programs and uh, and tweak things a little bit differently. I would never do that. (laughs)
0: I want to know if he left foot breaks the piano, though. That's the that's the main thing.
3: Yes, it has three pedals, too. So that I'm at home there.
1: Uh, we've got another question. Um, Andrew has asked um, if you guys see driver discipline as an issue within the virtual world. Um, I guess there was an incident with an IndyCar race and it was uh, spoiled, he thinks, by a, a satirical last few laps in his word words here.
0: I think that's the difference between um, the better run series. Um, in iRacing, you get incident points and you can get stop and go penalties. And what Pat was saying earlier on is, is absolutely true. I think what you'll find, uh, and now having watched uh, a couple of different series, the, the, the pro invitational series and the sim racing series with some of the pro sim racers, who, by the way, the top guys earn money. And are in teams like Williams Esport and Redline, which is Max Verstappen's team, they earn money. They are paid to race, not the kind of huge amount of monies that Max Verstappen and and the single-seater drivers earn, in fairness. I think the big difference is you'll find a little bit more respect between the gamers than sometimes you do with the Pro Series drivers. And actually, I'll turn that around to Andrew and say, are we going to find when we go green flag racing again and maybe... Jack and Pat have a have a have, a, have a, an opinion on this that some of these rivalries that have started to catch fire in the pro series might get might then sort of spill back over into the into the real world but I do, I do think it, I do seriously i think there 's a danger if you don 't take it seriously that the entertainment value that I talked about before that goes away and that 's not good. But I do, I do also think that we might get a few little interesting cats at tracks when we do finally get back. And that social distancing of two metres, six foot six, has gone away. That could be very interesting. What, what, do you, what do you reckon, Jack and Pat? Do you think some of those rivalries will continue when the green flag flies again?
2: I, I oh, do. Oh, Go ahead, Patrick. I think they, I think they could, um, the, the top elite athletes are going to know that it should not carry over and that there's a danger aspect. Um, but I, I had an experience last Wednesday on a, on a IROC race that was live on Fox where, uh, two IndyCar drivers, we were racing at Michigan in stock cars and two IndyCar drivers in the draft got together and they started bickering over, um, the, the radio channel during the race, they had both gone out of the race and they wanted to have a few words with one another. And we were all kind of rolling our eyes, but the irony was is David, it, that rivalry came from the real racetrack online. It carried on and it will probably continue afterwards. But I think as we talked about pro racers, um, it's more than speed. It's situational awareness. It's respect for the danger and for the other competition. So I'm not too worried, but I do admit the first race I jumped into pretty unprepared knowingly um, at, at WeatherTech Laguna Seca a few weeks back I knew that I would go a couple laps down and I needed to be mindful as the leaders came through because as you said, John, what this period of time has developed is an audience. It's become an entertainment source and we want there to be a good show for the fans, for the sponsors, for the competitors. Um, Simulation has been around for decades in motorsport. The top level NASCAR, IndyCar, sports car, Formula One teams, they use it to, to develop chassis. They put millions and millions of dollars into their sim programs year round. But now we have an entertainment. We have a chance to have a mainstream audience who doesn't have other racing to be able to tune into. So, yeah, we're going to try and keep the competition and the entertainment high and not be taking rivalries onto the sim track or off the sim track.
3: Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. Uh, you know, just a little difference on that, too. Yeah. Um, I think that we'll see, uh, some rivalries heat up, but you know, the pro drivers won't, you know, they won't do anything stupid. And if they do, then, you know, they don't, they probably aren't pros, you know, I think it'll be all good.
1: John, what, what's this like for you? Do you see any big differences in, in what you've learned over calling these simulator races to what you may take with you to, uh,
0: to the real world again, as it were? It's intense. The intensity, the passion, the emotion, I think, is the same. And at Radio Show Limited, we we put together Radio Le Mans, IMSA Radio, the VLN Series, the Nürburgring 24, Bathurst, all of these big endurance races around the world, either me or one of the team or some of the team, are, are there. And I think what we've seen is the intensity is exactly the same as the real world. And what we're seeing now is uh, that the entertainment value is at a very high level. And that's why the discipline that you talked about earlier with Andrew's question is so early. What we're learning is the ability uh, to be able to still do a pretty decent job, whether we're trackside or not. And what's really interesting is, as look, what, look what we're doing now. We're live, in vision, from four completely separate places and not even on the same continent from my point of view. Look how dark it is outside here at, what, five minutes before 10, British summertime. And to be able to do that and interact with your fellow play-by-play commentators when sometimes you can't see them that's we're all learning discipline that we haven't seen before we're all learning the ability to watch further down the timing screen and further across the timing screen to see what's going on that i think is is useful in the same way as the drivers will say their concentration levels are being kept alive by doing what they do well in the broadcast world we're le- learning new tricks too or at At least if we're not learning new tricks, we've been able still to practice what we're doing. Otherwise, what would I have been doing? I'd have been sitting watching the wildlife and cutting the grass outside and not getting excited about motor racing and not identifying car liveries and not reading a timing screen. And when it's like anything else, if I haven't ridden my BMW motorbike for a little while, the first two miles that you get back on it, you're feeling your way Back into it and that's exactly the same with any skill you let it go then you've got to build it back up again and that's the same for for a broadcaster as it is for the drivers
1: well we've got an, a question here that i think relates pretty well kind of to the real world here um pat i think it's really for you and i'm a porsche guy you guys know this so it pains me to ask this question but max has got to know he's a little worried about some of the bmw dominance in IMSA lately and he wants to know what are you going to do about it?
2: <laughs> well, like every racing driver, first I'll complain and sort of uh, cry, cry in my soup, as they, as they might have I've missed that analogy. But uh, the reality is, is that there's BOP in simulation racing, and drivers are going to complain about that, and they're going to call their engineers, um, but we're going to work harder right now, I have no excuse. Uh, The reason that I'm not in the top 10 is because I'm not putting six to 10 hours a day into it. I have a small business, I'm a factory driver, I have responsibilities outside of the cockpit, and I have two young kids and a wife. So um, all those excuses aside, basically, we need to get into the sim and we need to log the laps because like anything that you're learning and anything you want to be an expert on, you need to be Perfecting those skills and putting in thousands of hours. Um, but yeah, they've been dominant. I think that the cars are strong on track um, and the drivers are some of the best esports drivers in the world. Nikki Katzberg, Philip Eng, um, these guys have dragged along some of the lesser known esports drivers on the BMW team. So I give those guys a lot of respect. but the cynic in me believes that there's always a rule book and the best racing teams and the best racing team owners interpret
0: the rule book and ride it right to the edge. So I'll leave that with you. I think the thing is that we've had we had five Porsches in the top 10 at Sebring on Super Saturday. We had uh, Nick Tandy and Ayshan Guven uh, qualifying inside the top 15 at the weekend. The Fords are, are quick as well. But you've got to finish off. It's an hour and a half race. And the thing is, the BMW is a nice platform. And when you get it dialed in, they, and the guys part, they just don't make mistakes. And that, that's the key. You can't afford the smallest mistake when you've only got an hour and a half. And the spread between, I think, 1st and 15th was half a second in qualifying on Thursday night in the, in the IMSA Pro Invitational.
2: Yeah, and make no mistake, these teams are preparing. All the drivers have test team, engineers, strategy, setups, and they're working together. Um, It's in the middle of the night for me. I I see it on uh, an app where we're all interconnected, but they are running schedules through the week. Um, The Porsche guys with Porsche Digital and a a full eSports team are taking this serious, as I know BMW is as well. Um, And the reality is is that Porsche had the pace at Mid-Ohio. If you look at the averages, um, they were as strong as any of them, and so they just need to link that whole race together. And um, it wasn't for a lack of speed this time at Mid Ohio; that was a good track for Porsche. But we'll see where it goes in two weeks when uh, everybody heads to Road America.
1: I love it. All right, we talked a little bit about some of the, the the Super Bowl style esports events. You've got this League of Legends that's out there, right? You've got all these gamers in one big room. We had a question here from uh, Joe. He's curious, do you ever see like a stadium set up where you've got multiple simulators, a lot of drivers in there at the same time, all virtually racing, but together?
0: It's happened and it does happen. It's called land racing uh, instead of being all in different places and having to use the Internet and the technical vagaries that that can bring and we're having to learn one of the things you were talking about broadcasting we're having to learn a new language things like net code incidents and things like that which is all about the latency where you are in the world you've got Shane Van Gisbergen in New Zealand talking to the iRacing server in Boston and people from Europe and the States all doing the same thing with slightly different lag times you take that away if you put everybody in one place and it has happened. It's happened for things like Forza World Championship. I did the World Championships with Forza a couple of years ago. And we had the world final in London in an esports arena with 16 drivers all on stage. And the interesting thing about that is it completely changes the mental approach by all the drivers because they're not used to being in a line of 16 seats with their competitors around them. It's really interesting. And I hope we get to see some more of that, even with the pro series that's going on. Once we get the lockdowns lifted and we can move around a bit more.
1: Yeah. You seem to remember as you were a kid, right? You had multiple driving games in the arcade kind of sitting next to each other. Right. So it's just a really big version of that. And we did have several people that chimed in after the question was asked that mentioned that the, the Gran Turismo Championships are all in one room at SEMA. There are a lot of examples of that out there where, where it is being used.
3: Yeah, that's, uh, I think that could be pretty cool. You know, driving, uh, battling with other drivers, it's not just all technique. It's also mental presence and how, you know, how you're around those other people. I think that could help bring that element into some racing even more pretty cool totally agree
1: sure absolutely well we're winding our discussion down here and this has been an absolutely fantastic way to talk about this and there have been detractors that you guys have all dealt with in this world and i'm new to this i'm learning about it all i see is just another way to keep the motorsports community together and growing toward the future so I hope for anybody that was maybe on the other side of the fence of this issue, they've learned something today and understand that there's still a lot of heart and passion behind all this. And you guys are phenomenal advocates for all of this. And we thank you so much for, for doing what you do. Thanks, Thanks, Brad. Thanks Brad. And John, we thank you very much, yeah, in, particular, very much in particular. if We've watched it. The sun set behind you in England. It's uh, very, in your pastoral landscape <laughs> back there. <laughs>
0: It's pitch black outside now, but I think it might be just about time for an adult beverage. We can't drive anywhere at the moment, so don't worry. We're not getting behind the wheel. Right, thanks to Haggerty and to you, Brad, and the rest of the team for putting this together. I've had a ball, and it's been great being with some real stars of online and real racing in Jack and, and Pat. And guys, I can't wait to see you at a track again sometime soon. It's been too long.
1: Seems like great. Well, thank you very much. We're going to continue to answer some questions after the fact as they may come in. And we really, really appreciate you being here. I'm blown away. This is a, this is one of those pinch me moments for me personally it, with three legends on one of our streams here. So wish you guys all the best of luck and thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, thanks to our Haggerty Live audience for hanging in there. And uh, we're going to do a lot more of these sort of things and bring experts to you. So thanks for watching.